If you've been with us since the beginning, you've probably at least figured out we're just a little bit passionate about the tech we talk about each week. And for better or for worse, Jerry's still out there. We figured the only thing better than one piece of tech to chat on is maybe three or four. Okay, we admit it. You're in for a bit of a roller coaster this week as we take a brisk run through the latest going on Facebook uh, Meta, first reactions to Apple's new M2 MacBook Pro, Atari celebrates 50 years, and finally wrap it up with some what's in the box action with Asus's new Zephyrus G14. All that, and maybe even a few other bits sprinkled in, just because we can't help ourselves. Welcome to our very first Solid State Parts Bin episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Solid State Podcast. I'm your host, John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. And we are here this week with a whole new format we're going to try out on you. So all six of you out there listening, prepare for something a little new. Uh, no, it's, it's, the same, it's, the same sto- it's the same solid state you know, love, or at least tolerate. We're just uh, bringing you a new a format that's going to hit the mix, as you probably picked up now 13, 14 episodes in. We, we, we cycle our way through some different you know, show topic types, always you know, the same two or three of us, but you know, bring you some different content, some different ways. This is going to be uh, what we affectionately refer to as a parts bin episode. Um, and the idea behind parts bin is rather than our normal you know, deep dive on just one topic for the full runtime, we're going to take, you know, as many as a handful, normally three or four topics, and then go through not quite rapid fire, but definitely broken up into small digestible bites um, going through you know, a, a wide array of topics and typically ones more timely to when this episode is going to drop. Uh, we've mentioned it a little bit inside the pod in the past. We, you know, due to schedules, tend to record several of these at a time um, to try and accomplish the semi-consistent release schedule. And that's always on me when they don't drop on time. But that's Same that's time. a John and his calendar problem. That's right. <laughs> um, but on the days where we do get to record and then turn around and drop one of them, within a day or so of that, we thought, hey, let's really zero in and do something that's about the news of that week, plus or minus a couple of days. So um, in order to maximize that and really touch on as much of the news as we can, because it's tech and that's why we love it. And it's always got something going on, uh, especially the closer we get to holiday season and my wallet gets emptier. uh, We we thought we'd run through three or four of those uh, those today. So uh, with no further ado, into our very first Parts Bin episode. So... Uh, topic one, you know, issue one, as it were, yes. a little bit McLaughlin. McLaughlin issue group. the first. <laughs> issue the first. That's right. Um, Meta has had some interesting news going on this week. Uh, credit words due over to some Verge reporting that I was reading that just really, this one piqued my interest. Um, two different stories. Um, one, I think, is much more of an optimistic heavily optimistic look forward from Zuck and the, the old Oculus, I'm sorry, meta team, yes. uh, and some of the stuff Is they've got right? in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Right. They did change the sign of the street. And after all, yeah. um, but so some, some very optimistic looks forward there for the meta quest lineup, but then on the back end of that, we're going to talk about tempering maybe some of those expectations, right. at least uh, at least in the in the short to medium yeah, term. The, so, the, but wait, there's more conversation. Oh, wait, there's yeah. or maybe there's not more. That right, that yeah. might be more the problem. But don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Starting on the positive foot, as we always try to. Um, I think it's easy to say all three of us are at varying levels fans of formerly the Oculus Quest yeah, line of products. Definitely. Modernly, the, the Meta Quest 2 yeah. is the current. We did an we episode have one. From, from the Metaverse. So yeah, We did. If, you, if, you, if you've been with us long enough, you know we did a whole episode You know from our from our fancy digs on the 30th floor yeah, of some uh, nice. we literal metaphorical office. tower. That, yeah, that's the CRS right. high-rise building in the Metaverse, yep. you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, Meta as a company, I guess we really have to go all the way back to that because I keep, if you hear me tripping up my words, because I keep wanting to say Facebook, mm-hmm. and that's not them anymore. They are Meta in a very real, that's so weird to say, a very Meta in a real way. Um, <laughs> as a company, they've rebranded as Meta heavily because of the play on the metaverse. And we talked about that at some length in the metaverse episode, but kind of the key or one of the keys to the metaverse is getting there. And the way you get there for most people right now is by way of VR headsets, predominantly like the MetaQuest 2. I still think that's quite a mouthful, by the way. But anyway, the the, the MetaQuest 2. um, But 
I almost did it again. Meta is continuing to invest engineering and production dollars on what's next for the Meta Quest or just that VR line. Maybe they maybe it'll be Quest. Maybe they won't. Um, I have a feeling there'll be multiple iterations or multiple yeah, I, I tiers at some point. Yeah. Or at least offer options. I think the Quest line will likely stay at that mid to low range price point and then something spot, yeah. yeah something is going to step out above and likely be branded ahead of it well, but, they they had a picture floating around on the internet there of one of their prototypes mm-hmm. and I, I i'm just i'm throwing it out i loved the picture of the prototype it looked totally steampunk because it was very much a prototype like all the circuit yes. boards were exposed we're it exposed. looked like the goggles from um, with the cooling fans for PC yeah with the cooling right fans on the oh, on yeah. it. It like the goggles from <laughs> ghostbusters you know with like the lenses on it and everything and they said the big thing that they said about it was that it was supposed to be and you know not you know don't sue them apple i guess although they probably want to they said it was near retina quality and i don't think right. they mean retina the way apple talks about retina they're talking about like your it's high enough resolution that your eye can't tell the difference between it and reality i guess is what they're going for mm-hmm. and apparently they're testing i don't know how far out that prototype is you know prototypes they probably have very early versions of and it can be years and years and years in development but they uh i don't know how far out that is but that would be very cool to see right. higher resolution like that because you know like we talked about in our metaverse episode it's so the graphics are so cartoony mm-hmm. right now yes that getting more power to that visual in there to make it look more real is is huge. I think. Well, I mean, and yeah. and the the quote unquote cartoony graphics are going to be heavily on the actual like literal rendering side of things. Yeah. That's a, that's a horsepower equation. But I think yeah. to your point too about you know the attempts to get a higher resolution model, that's going to be all things you know what we hear referred to as screen door effect or right. um, how difficult it is or call what it is migraine inducing it is to try to try to read in any meaningful way yeah. in a in a current VR environment. I mean, one of their major, you know, this is not just for playing Vader Immortal. I mean, mm-hmm. Meta's vision is for this to be a workplace tool, a place where people spend probably in their minds ever growing chunks of time. Oh, yeah. uh, and to do that, it, you got to make it comfortable to do and a huge part of that is actually being able to clearly see what you're looking at and the one to one connection between clearly seeing and reading and interacting with what you're looking at is that resolution and getting there with as close to what what Apple would lovingly call a retina level experience yeah. where you know if you know in the Apple version of the, the take on anything that's allegedly retina grade is where you at a certain distance cannot discern individual pixels with the with the naked eye yeah yeah i think mark said that he wants the displays to match the full capacity of human vision <laughs> so well, i guess so, yeah he I wants mean, to make it which i guess ve- which i guess varies heavily between me and eric as far as what human vision would yeah. <laughs> sorry eric i couldn't i couldn't resist <laughs> coke bottles man no i mean it, no i think he yeah, said that I'm they want to make the lenses so that you don't need glasses anymore like yeah, yeah well, they, where they can adapt mm-hmm. yeah, yeah where they can adapt for your visual needs based on the lens which would make a lot of sense you're putting glasses in front of your eyes already make those glasses compatible with the prescription i mean that does and they have third parties that do that now i've looked into it for my quest i just don't want to drop you can pop them out yeah they the prescription lenses and stuff yeah but i think the biggest thing with that is going to be the resolution's one thing the quote-unquote retina quality not being able to tell the difference between the pixels is one thing but i think the biggest thing that's going to make that a difference is the field of view Mm mm-hmm that's what they have to work on. They need, they need it to, you know, like I can Actually see, like I'm vertical. holding my hands out, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm 90 degrees from my head and I can still see my hands over here in the field of vision. That's what they need to perfect is getting that entire field of vision up and down and side to side in their headsets. And I think that would, you know, and I think that's what they're working on as well as getting screens that can do that right in a, in a way where you can't tell the difference. Yeah. And that's like... also helps with motion sickness as well. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. They did, um, like a, an investment call or a memo that was sent out and one of the things that they did mention was the avatars that like one of their right primary priorities right now is to get them into a new art style i guess so that probably makes sense if they're trying to get, <laughs> get away so they're not yeah. they're yeah. not just subbing it out to the guy that did the Mies. that's what i was about basically to say what they it need looks to get like. away from that look yeah <laughs> Yeah, so it looks like, yeah, that it looks like in addition to the screen, they're trying to at least make the avatars more realistic as well. Right. So, I mean, yeah, they're definitely doing some far-reaching stuff there. What was the other one? What was the end then, John? What was that part? 
Oh, well, I mean, well, there's a few more things that's on the front before we even get to the end of that. Yeah. Um, on the, on the actual VR headset side of things, um, again, I'm going to reference back to, excuse me, you're following along with this great verge article. Um, so kind of, I try to stay away from just reading the news to people, but I mean, this is a really <laughs> great article and it's just easier to go point for point. So that, that first, when you're talking about that retina type experience yeah. that they're referring to that as butterscotch. So that's like, cause they're doing different, okay. that, that's their internal name for it. So like the butterscotch project is the attempts to get it to a higher and higher DPI, a higher and higher, um, okay. visual fidelity. The next one is starburst. <laughs> starburst is it's hilarious to look at the pictures because it is massive because the fans they have to put on yeah. it. But the intent is to get crazy high dynamic range, just as the name implies, really just not even double or triple down, like go all in on brightness to get that really, really intense light versus dark range, the high, the true, the super high dynamic range on the visuals to the point of it would HDR, uh, according to this, up to 20,000 nits of brightness. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I think yeah. the question they want to be able to blind their that. customers. Oh, I was going to say, well, Cody, put in perspective, I'm pretty sure like my 14 inch MacBook Pro, which is one of the better, brighter displays. And again, this is not one to one with the laptop versus something mm -hmm. on your eyeballs, but I think it tops out of what are a thousand or 1200 nits. Yeah, something like and that. Like, wow. And that's a very bright display. Like a normal MacBook Air is like 500. Meta's yeah. about to burn our retinas out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. They're, they're, gonna, they're trying to blind their customers if they want to. <laughs> yeah. John will have that set to max settings for the brightness. Yep, exactly. He wants the brightness. He, <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. He wants to take the, the quest off of his face and still see the virtual world in reality because it's burned into his it's retina. It's burned to the back of my retinas. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, I, John Joyce retina display is one that actually leaves your retina as a smoldering pile behind. Yeah. I mean, I think all of this kind of factors into you know, this VR being more than like a gaming thing. Like, yeah, it does have a lot of games on it, but it, it's really interesting, like the utility side of it. And it looks yes. like they definitely want to do that. Like, you know, I'm sure they'll start to integrate like their messaging and all their other platforms into yeah. it. But um, yeah, like work, you know, workflows, like, you know, if it's a lot lighter on your face and, you know, a lot better of a resolution, like you said, John, where you can actually read a screen, like maybe it does work to, you know, have three monitors in front of you at, at a virtual desk and like work that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, that would be because we did do that a little experiment when mm -hmm. we were in the metaverse with the computer screens up and you, you can't really read it. It's not right. You can see what's right. on it enough to navigate around, but it's not a good experience to do any actual work on. Like I wouldn't want to check my email on that. No, no. exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like it's definitely got like the movie theater effect where it's like, you know, it's on the big screen, so it looks all right because it's yeah. a low resolution. But once it's like in front of you, it really does. Right in your face. Yeah. So yeah, th those those were the two. I mean, they Zuck went through like a tour de force of all these like different things they're working on and looking at it having to do with freaking lasers on their heads and all, so and yeah. all sorts of stuff like that. But the, those, the two that really stood out to me were those first two, which was the Butterscotch and the Starburst, because those seem like initiatives that are at least riffs and evolutions on tech we've already got a lot mm -hmm. of the other stuff is focusing on truly advanced laser technology focal point technology that i mean zuck even said there's a lot of engineering that's gonna have to go into making these things or like the, the one of the laser concepts like the laser they would need to use hasn't been invented yet like we there, need, is that the one where they're talking about like tech. drawing the images on your retina with a correct with the light that, yeah that's crazy. that 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 is like the not the ultimate Wait, what? i should say that <laughs> Well, that is one of like that. That's even beyond just meta. That's a lot of the what I've read anyway, as the general consensus on the next evolutionary step in this tech is going to be when we can figure out how to quite literally laser this stuff directly into your eyes. Having to produce it onto a display by nature is held back by the display tech. And that display tech is, again, by nature, having to be inches at best if not centimeters from your face yeah. so the struggles of that are their own set of engineering challenges when you can get down to the laser level and laser draw this stuff um the ability to create these incredibly high fidelity high response time images um is very very powerful but you know you have to do it without melting someone's face and uh or their eyeballs and um that's where you actually and, get those smoldering retinas if you do it that that's you. right <laughs> it just you know as with every major thing for it, it's going to require innovation. So wait, so the tech is that they draw the the light 
on your retina? Well, how does that work? <laughs> I am not about to pretend yeah. that I understand <laughs> the finer points. I just know it has to do with freaking laser beams and yep. um, yeah. how it. That's just I just read and I'm I'm remembering you know a blurb from an article about how like that's what their end goal was was basically to rather than project the image onto a screen that you then view, they're talking about making your eyeballs the screen like they're actually going to draw the images directly into your eye like through your lens into the back on your retina so it's like the way the light the light in real life hits the back of your eyeball they're going to artificially create that light hitting the back of your eyeball and draw the images produce light images as if there was just light entering the optics of your eye of your which is supposed to be able to confuse your brain enough that you won't wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and reality is is the ultimate goal and i mean again this is probably way off from where we're at right now but you know that's what their end goal is so it'd be interesting to see if they can actually ever do it yeah that's that that's getting into like magic leap and all that stuff though where it's like you know we're gonna hack the gpu of your mind like i (laughs) I get it like it's all very loud I, I get it. It's laughable stuff to us. I do also understand like people have to take those crazy big bets to, uh, to drive forward. Uh, innovation. Yeah. Tech more than any other industry. Nah, tech more than any other industry is built on people taking those big bets. Some of which work, some of which do not, which kind of transitions well into that, um, that, but then, um, when, when yeah. it comes to, Oh Yeah coming later this year which is that you know the what's alleged to be the step above the quest and this talking about here i'm going to do with lasers and starbursts and everything else these are years or longer long bets mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. on the back end of all these really cool and exciting announcements or pre 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 announcements i guess would be a better way to put them um Facebook on an operating side of things is also, you know, we're told internally notifying their team of, you know, what they literally referred to as serious times mm-hmm. ahead for the company. Now we're not talking about serious times in the, fe- in the context of some companies that are looking at a potential recession or other economic indicators and thinking, are we going to be in business in a year? But you know, this is a very large company that's committing huge swaths of its resources to a bet. We don't, I'm sure they are very confident, but we don't know that this is going to turn into the kind of money-making machine for Meta that the Blue App did. And for, you know, all these other mm-hmm. things that made Facebook now Meta what that is today were not we. They are guessing, I'm sure it's a very well-educated guess, but they are guessing that there is a truly tappable, scalable market here that's going to produce dollars at the kind of scale that the company we know today has been able to produce. But that's happening. Those bets are happening at such a very interesting time when Meta is also dealing with the back end of Apple and others changing the way our devices can interact with advertisements. Mm-hmm. It is decimating their ad business. It really, we're taught their investor calls are one key, you know, common thread. Their ad business is suffering at an enormous rate because heaven forbid my phone now asks me if I want the app to just sit there and track all of my information as I'm doing it. And, and they specifically said it was the app that Apple changed, Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, they've, yeah. They've, they've pulled no punches. They have they've squarely placed the blame on Apple for massive losses in their ad revenue. And don't get me wrong, this is not meant to be a Tim Cook and or Apple as a you know white knight coming to save us and all of our privacy the way they would tell us it is. Apple has their own very capitalistic plans for how to monetize things and make money off of us. But the net result is I at least try to find the positive. When I open up an app and it now asks me what information I want to hand over, I have the ability to say no. And that yep. wasn't there That's before. Huge. Yeah. That, no, that was a no thing that didn't exist <laughs> as do so, I. Yeah. And that is an option that didn't exist. That is my right. That should be my decision. And if the net result of people having that decision is Facebook having that direct of an impact on dollars, I think that as much speaks to where those dollars have been coming from and how they were getting them for many of these years. Well, and realistically, how many people are saying no when it is a question, yes or no, people will say no to that. You know, they don't want their data to be taken. So why would anyone say yes to it? Like, I can't think of anybody who's like, you know what? Yeah, 
go yeah. ahead and take my data and you know give me more advertisements. That's I what I want to be kind to these big companies. You know, yeah, they're they're <laughs> only looking back... out for me, the little guy. <laughs> well, it goes back to our advertising discussion that seems to be a very common thread through a lot of our episodes. Like last week on the subscription uh, service episode, you know, give me the option to just pay for something. Like I'm right. okay yeah. with that. People talk about, and I get they talk about well, the, the internet as we know it is built on ads and the share and the, and the mining and selling of information. And without it, we wouldn't have the internet we have today. Well, there are situations where I'm okay. There's okay. There's there are places where I'm okay with ads. Mm-hmm. There's even situations where I'm okay with certain levels of targeted ads to know what country or even what state I'm in and serve me something geographically relevant. That's one thing to know what street corner I'm standing on and what I had for lunch and what music is playing nearby me. That's entirely different. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you should have my permission to use that level of targeting on the flip side. There are many, many things that I don't mind using for free. I even like it. But I would also be perfectly willing to pay a certain fee for those things if it meant not having to hand over that level of my personal and private information to have access to it. Yeah. And I think many would be surprised what people would be willing to pay. Go back to what is the social cost? We've we've said that on many episodes. What is the social contract? What is the cost in exchange for that thing we're using, quote unquote, for free? Nothing is free. I think that's the real byline. Nothing is free. You're paying something for it. The question is, are you paying for it in currency or are you mm-hmm. paying for it in time or in resources or your information? Yep. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, it's our information. And it's not just that we're handing it over. The minute we hand it over, we still have no control over how it's used. And I think yeah. that for they me anyway, that's the biggest problem is I now have no control over how it's used after the fact. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. And you find, you hear those things, you know, the security, going back to our security conversations, you hear yep. about those leaks on the internet of, just everyone's personal information. Like it's just floating around out there to be purchased somewhere where people can get mm-hmm. more information about you for social engineering or whatever. Yeah. It's nice to be able to say no to that. And yep. you know, that option just wasn't there before. Cause it so. says ask app not to track. Right. So it, there is a little ambiguity in there. Well, there's ambiguity in that the app still at the end of the day, you have to realize that, the apps have the ability to be nefarious. Like in my opinion, that's the line. Mm. If I ask it not to track and it circumnavigates that and does it anyway, that app to me at least has become malware. Yes. That that is now doing something I, the user have instructed it not to do. That's something ever there should, you know, going back to things that we should have, we should now, the next logical extension is there should be a place for me to easily go see what apps are using or collecting that information. And if it's an app, I know full well I asked it not to, that app's gone. Mm, it's it's yeah. malware at that point. It is doing a thing I, the user, told it not to do. That, for me, is one of the lines. There's lines to be crossed, and that is one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the more realistic the the VR gets with that, I mean, the more su- that security and privacy will be important. Like, you know, sure. In context of the like meta conversation, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. We talked and we talked about that in our metaverse episode. Mm-hmm. We think about again the the social cost of what some of these things are, and we talk about digital ownership and the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of a, all of these stories that we've covered through all these weeks and months now do have some very common threads that traverse all of them. So when you do think about privacy in these spaces. And again, I'm not one don't want to rehash our whole metaverse episode. If you're interested, go listen to that one. But this is tangible to that conversation. And the fact that Meta is internally telling its employees, I mean, there was some very, I mean, good on them for being hopefully upfront with their own team members. I do think that's important from a social, I mean, from a company corporate res- responsibility perspective, but yeah, they, saying things like, you know, new team members, you know, engineers aren't just going to fall off of trees was really the, you know, they, they had some very, you know, yeah, they said they're not hiring saying anybody it. else right now or something, right? Yeah. No we'll just don't, 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 don't expect increases in budgets or increases in manpower. Basically the, 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 the me version of that is maximize what you can do with what you have. Right. Which I mean, that's that coming back to the type of business that we are and the scale that we operate. That's our every day. Like that, that, yeah. that's part of our imperative as a small business is we have to do everything we can with what we have. I'm sure Eric would love for me to say, "Hey, Eric, you know, for the new security team, just go hire four more people." Yeah, not yeah. a not gonna, gonna happen. Ha- yeah, let's happen. just get yeah. right on that. Um, so that's that doesn't sound as foreign to us, but to companies like these, uh, let's call it for many many years, it's been. 
you can make just about any use case and get piles of resource thrown at something. But I think this is going to be a, if this is indicative of what's going to be happening with some of these larger tech companies, that's going to be good for the industry in the long, I don't, I, I feel for anyone that maybe loses a job or doesn't get a job opportunity or whatever as a result of this. I want everyone to have those opportunities. But on the flip side, I think enough is enough with these companies throwing near limitless amounts of resource, be it monetary manpower or both at just whatever the heck fancies them that day. Mm-hmm. Google, we're still talking about your messaging yep. apps. Okay. Yeah. They're so finally had, killing Hangouts. Yeah, I, I saw that. We're not. We're not parts <laughs> of that. On. But 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 yes, you're right. The newsflash: Google is finally shutting it down. Allegedly, I'll believe that the same day I can't use Internet Explorer right. inside of Edge. Yeah, exactly. Moving on. <laughs> so to wrap to wrap up the 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 meta yes. conversation and everything, I, I just a a funny little tidbit that I imagine in my head when I think about these board meetings when they're talking about meta. Have oh, you yeah. guys both seen Ready Player One? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they are sitting in a boardroom having the conversation <laughs> that they had in that movie where the guy was like, you realize that, you know, our studies show that we can cover 80% of their field of view with advertisements before causing a seizure. Like that's how I imagine, <laughs> imagine that Meta happens. having a boardroom conversation. Like how many ads can we fit around the edge of their field of view in Meta before they have a seizure and we lose anyone and get a lawsuit? Like I can yeah. totally imagine like, that happening. Somewhere there's a, there's an internal metric called the red line and that yep. red line is quite literally when yeah, they hit critical mass. Yeah. yeah, how long? How how many of these can we put up before somebody drops dead? That's the conversation oh, happening uh, in the boardroom. I can see it with the twelve thousand nits of light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to reference last week's episode, can I click to unsubscribe? Right. Exactly. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I think our so to close that topic, and then we're going to open yes. up on another topic. We're going to roll yeah. into the next one. So there this was this is new piece, for us. Cha- changing gears. Yeah, changing it, gears. It here weird. we go. We're going to try to keep on task here. We'll we'll do our okay. best. So there was a um an article. Well, the the new new hardware came out. So we've got um, Apple. So sorry, Apple, yeah. set, setting the stage. So Apple. Uh, w, uh, real quick. So. Again, if you've been listening along, WWDC a few weeks ago, Eric and I covered it. Cody was a bum and took vacation. <laughs> um, one of the many things to come out of WWDC was the announcement of the M2 processor line, um, the logical successor to M1, obviously, and with it, some new hardware, yeah. an M2 MacBook Pro, which was almost instantly available for pre-order and is now available to buy, and an M2 MacBook Air that allegedly is going to be available for pre-order in the next week or so, hitting store shelves middle of July. So just kind of some preamble. So the the, the, the news we have to talk about today is about that M2 MacBook Pro, because it's special in a few ways. It's the first device readily available running that M2 processor. It's in people's hands right now. In already. people's hands, reviewers yeah. and Joe Public. But it's also interesting in that Apple chose for whatever number of reasons to make that the first one readily available, because as we talked about at length in the WWDC episode, it's a complete retread. Actually, it's a retread of a retread because the M1 powered 13 inch MacBook Pro was a rebundle of the existing Intel 13 inch MacBook Pro. And unlike the Air, which is a wholly new design, and we're going to save that for when it's out and we get one in our hands, this is, we didn't even bother picking one up to look over because Eric, you and I talked about it offline you know, some folks have done some great reviews and we have some valid information to talk about today, but at the end of the day, it's the laptop we already had with a slightly newer processor in it or so we thought. And that's where I think things get interesting. Yeah, it definitely. So what I, what I looked into, uh, and again, I had the air, you had the, you actually had the M one pro for a little while before you got your, I had the 13 inch and then I traded in and got the 14 inch pro that I still use today. And I have the 14 inch pro that I use today. And when I traded in my air for it, but they, uh, so to, to rewind the way the architecture worked in that M one 13 inch pro, the, the M one processor chip is directly linked to both the memory and the SSD. The way they configure it all is that there's a, there's a real shallow channel between all of those parts on the motherboard so that they communicate very, very quickly with each other because Apple's worked out a lot of the kinks with swap when you have a low amount of RAM 
it moves things from the memory to your hard drive in what's called a swap for anybody who's not familiar with it. So it swaps that back and forth. And that's what can slow computers down. Well, Apple worked it out where this was very fast, like so fast. Ultra low latency. Yeah, yeah very low felt, latency, very snappy. Yeah. Like you couldn't Your storage tell. felt, your long-term storage felt like RAM, which right. again, if yeah. you're a computer person, that's like, that's one of the holy grails is like, you because know, the whole idea is if so you want something fast, you put it in RAM. If you want to keep it, you put it on your, on your long-term storage. But that long-term storage and that exchange was historic historically much much slower you felt it that's that that right. spinning wheel that hesitation on your computer that's the latency of that storage the promise of m1 was apple solved that with these ultra low latency channels right on the board and then lo and behold they were right like in our yeah. practical experience it was bordering on magical it was and, and that was like we literally had conversations about this offline about we don't know what pixie dust apple sprinkled on this computer because <laughs> i had this air it only it was a 256 it was the base model 256 a $1000 computer yeah 8, yeah 8 gigabytes of ram and it ran faster than the i7 32 gigs of ram 512 gigabyte hard drive workstation SSD. that i had yep it was yep. it oh. runs it ran better than that like i never had any problems with running out of memory i never had any of those issues no slowdowns nothing it just swapped that stuff around so fast and that was the air the pro was set up even faster than that one it had cooling and all these fans and all that kind of stuff so i guess the way they worked that magic in the original 13 inch pro was they had for the 256 gigabyte base model they had two 128 gigabyte we're really getting in the weeds here um chips <laughs> for the ssd and they had them brand. In, and they had them in parallel which you know for electrical terms they're basically paired together so you had what appeared to your computer as a 256 gigabyte drive that was actually two separate chips linked together and the way it did that back and forth it increased the speed and it was getting like i think 2500 mega border megabits per second. megs it was like right around there so I guess with the new, and this is just for the base model, so you have to keep this in mind, for the new base model M2 13-inch Pro, they only have a single 256 gigabyte SSD chip in there for that solid state storage. And yep. because of that, it's closer to about a 1500 megs yeah. per second. So not quite half, but darn close but darn to close half the to speed. Half. And, and, and you got to remember, that's still crazy fast. Like that speed... Compared to almost any laptop, storage. you're going to yeah. walk into Best Buy. Any, not to pick on, but any Acer laptop, you're going to walk into yeah. Best Buy and pick up for a thousand bucks is going to have probably an NVMe or a SATA SSD in it that's not going to touch 1500 megs. No, it's not just even close. not. Right. Yeah. yeah totally. So, but yeah. back to your swap, this is where, when Eric, when you said this offline the other day, that's when, because I'm sitting here thinking, okay. My whole thing with the M series of stuff is because it's now getting to the point that we've been at with A series on the mobile for a while, which is. Right cool they made it faster it's already so freaking fast i it the changes are becoming imp almost imperceptible so yeah. I'm like okay i was doing the tally in my head what daily tasks was i going to feel that missing thousand megs a second until you said the following that really clicked it for me right yeah you got to remember that on the, this is on the base model only it's only got eight gigabytes of ram so the minute you try to do anything memory intensive, it's going to swap some of that to the hard drive. And it now has a 1000 meg per second smaller lane to that hard drive. So yep. and in your day to day, like I'm opening a document from my hard drive, that's that's going to still load just as fast as it ever did. But when you have 25 tabs open in Google and music I was just going to say Chrome you know, tabs, it's all exactly. about freaking it Chrome tabs, it is, you know, and because everybody <laughs> uses it, it's, you know, it's on every computer, but you start doing that and you get all that stuff loaded up into memory and then you go to open up a big file and it needs to swap stuff to the hard drive. It's, it's, I don't like, I haven't used it yet. I don't know if it's going to bog down, but I would have to imagine it's swapping that memory back and forth, that data back and forth at almost half the speed. Like it can't get that yep. whole channel anymore that it used to have. I'd have to imagine in some workflows, you're going to feel it. That's going to be felt. If you're just going to be surfing the web and checking your email, I highly doubt you're ever going to need to worry about that. But no. if you are just getting started in, you know, photo editing or video editing and you can't afford the big boy laptop right away and you want to start out with that one. You may run into some bottlenecks when you're opening yeah. some big files with that kind of stuff. Well, let, let, let's just truly call it what it is. Um, <laughs> this is not going to be about this computer being slow. Like, let's just let's just right. let's just get that out of the way. This is not 
the M2 13-inch MacBook Pro is going to be a slow computer. No, this is still going to be faster than almost any other laptop you've likely picked up and used. But is it going to have the same completely fluid experience that we've enjoyed with the M1s that came before it? Maybe not, to your point, in some workflows. And I think that's, it's more to me anyway, it's the, it's the fundamental thing of this is a newer device that's in this one particular way worse than the device it's replacing right and that's it's valid po- for anyone right. who goes out and looks at them side by side in a store yes okay 13 inch macbook pro m1 13 inch macbook pro, MacBook m2. pro m2 i'm gonna go 2D. with the m2 because it's gonna be faster if you got the same computers same spec yep eight gigs w- 256 yep. i would i would be curious to see what it's like because yes the processor is faster the processor is faster. The the GPUs are faster. The machine learning is faster on the M2 chip. It is, but how much of that stuff depends on that channel to as between the two, the SSD and the RAM. When we're doing design builds all the time in our day life, we, we talk all the time about, you know, least common denominator, you know, what's going to be the choke point. This, this just jumps off the page to me at, again, in those fringe scenarios that not every user is going to feel with all those speed benefits that you're talking about of the M2, there's still a world where this least common denominator can be what slows it down. This is the choke point. This is the thing dragging it all down. Yeah, Potentially. In the 256, the read speeds are around 50% slower than the M1. Right. Yep. That's and, and then I think the write speeds were like 30 or 40% yeah, slower 30% or something like that. Slower. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and this is where I'm going to bookend the M2 is this this continues to be this because this comes full circle back to our wwdc episode this continues to be the weirdest skew apple has ever maybe not ever has put out in recent years i don't know who this computer is for and i'm i'm comfortable saying for the all the zero people that care don't buy it like this do not buy this computer there is no logical reason to buy this machine or if for some reason i'll put my stamp on it if for some reason this is just your absolute favorite style that Apple's ever done. Like if you look at this computer and you're like, yep, that's, that's the computer for me. You're the I touch, have to bar, have that touch bar. I have to do all that thing. Spend the extra couple hundred bucks and, yes. and up the storage from 256 to Even if you don't need the storage. You won't even have the problem, right? right? Right. Because the 512 is, goes back to that split double, 256 yeah. configuration. And you get the full speed. So yep. even if you don't bump up the RAM, which again, I advise you do, I advise you p- get the 16 and the 512 in that computer if that's your the best style that you love. I mean, again, I would almost say just wait and get the air at that point. Well, and, I'm, I'm going to go but, no, I'm going to go further. If you are that person and you're then willing to already pay for the laptop that's $100 more than the air and then be willing to throw in several hundred more dollars to increase the storage and the RAM, I advise you to go seek some professional assistance and get over your touch bar issue. And then save up a few more dollars and get the, the base level 14 inch pro, which continues to be the single best computer I've ever owned or used mm-hmm. bar none, hands down, henceforth. Yeah. It, it, it just is. But then go back to the air. If you're in that same quandary and you can't figure out why you want this thing other than the touch bar, just wait a week and get the air and get a yep. new design that technically has an extra port because it has mag safes. So you're not losing USB C port for charging a better screen doesn't right. I, mean, I guess we won't know until we get hands hands on with it i would be surprised if the air has this storage configuration maybe it will yeah i'm not I sure i would be surprised if it does my, okay so i i know who the computer's for and just talking about it it's for people who hate the notch it's for it's for people who just who have an air oh, is there not a notch on this there's one? no notch on that one because it's the old <laughs> it's the old style so the the new air has the notch and so now you've got the the 14 inch 16 inch pros with the notch and the the air is the 13 inch with the notch if you're like you know you can't stand the notch and you're willing to pay an extra 100 bucks just to get rid of the nope. notch and again i've used it i didn't like when i first looked at it i was like come on guys the notch on the laptop are you kidding me it's it literally i used it for 15 minutes and i don't even notice it anymore right exactly this laptop is for the product manager whose cto has told them we only buy computers with pro in the name but his budget won't let him spend two thousand dollars on laptops for his p no at the end of the day that's what this computer exists for apple had to have a computer features notwithstanding that said pro on the chassis that cost under fifteen hundred dollars they had to 
they, they, they ran a study and figured out that they could not giant air quotes here could not afford to have their pro level laptop start at $2,000. So they slapped a barely fresh coat of paint on an age old design. They put it, the only reason they bothered putting an M2 in it again, I guarantee someone in the, in in the uh, supply chain team figured out that it was cheaper to make more M2s than to keep making M1s to keep, to keep this thing in an M1. And that's how we got this Frankenstein of a machine <laughs> to literally fill a product gap that they haven't been able to back into with the design of the that's 14 funny. inch pro. Yeah. Now you're probably that, that, right. Yeah. That, that is why it is a price point play period. End of conversation. But to book into two, it has a great battery life. Yeah, that is the one really that does. I don't want to completely crap all over it. If you are also for some reason looking for an insane battery life, like the M ones were already just nuts off yeah. the wall. Yeah. Good. This thing is multiple hours better. Um, we're assuming the air is going to be likewise. We, again, don't know because we haven't used yep. one yet. But truly, if you're like, got to have a Mac, got to have an M processor, and I'm looking to just rock this sucker for all day and good chunk of tomorrow, <laughs> sure, I still in, invite you to maybe just invest 80 bucks and get That's a second money. charger. Yep. And no, just get a second charger and yeah, okay, get the yeah. better computer. Like, I get, battery life is very important to me, but I wouldn't still never tell someone to buy a worse computer over a couple hours of battery life. I just, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, so. definitely. All right. So I guess right. then we want to roll into number three here, which is a, a little bit of a happier topic. It's a happy birthday. Yeah, so it is. And it's tangentially related to Apple. So it's, it's happy birthday, Atari, um, for all you old folks like me out there, it's uh, (laughs) 50 years of Atari. So they started, they, they opened their doors in Silicon Valley in 1972 and created some of the first games ever out there. There was one like space game before, but the one that everybody really remembers is Pong. So Atari's first game that was really big was Pong and the original. And then there was a bunch of people that kind of copied off of that. I think they purchased the game from, you know, some people that they brought into the fold or whatever that had been working on the game before. So they had created Pong and then they sort of developed from there into the Atari consoles that we knew. And then eventually Atari computers and all that kind of stuff. And they were basically at that time, like in the early 80s early to mid 80s like before the nintendo dropped they were the only game in town really i mean there was like right. ColecoVision and things like that but nobody could hold a candle to to what atari, atari. was doing and yep. i mean it was the it was the first because because i'm the elderly gent here it was the first console that i owned as a kid it was the first yep. gaming console that we had and it you know it was the the small you know black plastic in the front had like a wood grain sticker you know that oh, was yeah. on there <laughs> and you know very oh 70s the faux styling. wood of the 70s and 80s yeah it's very oh, yeah. 70s styling and and, Classy. It was, and the the funny thing is and i'll say this about you know and, and i guess let me talk about this first they, they're tangentially i said related to the apple topic because one of their first employees as apple was as as atari was opening their doors was steve jobs when steve jobs was a young man getting into technology getting yep. into companies he worked at atari to start with empo- employee number 40 Yep. So before, before he broke off and started, you know, making Apple computers and all that kind of stuff. Um, yep. And there's a, con- that there's an article Pixar or before actually. Oh God. No, Pixar was in the nineties. So, no, so yeah. Pixar, Pixar was in between Apple stints. So it was oh, a- yeah. Pixar was after the ouster from Apple and before they brought him back, back in, yeah. in, in 97. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, or 96, something like that. So anyway, yep. they, he was there. There's an article out there that I was reading that where the the one of the main founders of atari had a house and i guess you know, up on the hill you know and apparently steve had a house down on the below on the hill so steve would rise ride his motorcycle up to this guy's house and they would sit in the guy's house and talk about how important branding was it was when they were trying to design the apple lo- um the uh, atari logo i keep saying apple they're trying to design the atari logo and he's talking to him about the colors and you know and and you know it needs to be visually exciting and it needs to be something people can remember and they went over all this stuff and it was like steve absorbed all of it and then went and formed his own company and used all of that in his branding which is why apple's branding is so memorable which was yep. kind of neat just that the dna was kind of formed at atari from the very very early yep but one of the things i wanted to say about the 50th anniversary of atari i have my original 
Atari 2600 and I have a 5800, you know, or whatever the, the That's next generation was. I have the original ones with all of my original games and original controllers that my brother and I used to beat up in the early 80s before we got our Nintendo. I can plug that thing into my television right now and turn it on and every bit of it works. I've That's never done incredible. any repairs to it. Yeah. Nothing. It's been, you know, 40 years old now and it works like it did the day we bought it. And it, that's insane to me that a piece of technology that old can still work without a problem. Oh yeah. I think, I think Eric just cemented himself as the old man of the show. Oh, Cause yeah, all I great. just heard was, man, they don't make them like they used to. They don't. <laughs> they sure don't. I recall correctly, even the, the controller ports they utilize for multiple of their consoles, right? So you could plug in. Yep. Like yeah. You Atari can take an Atari 2600 yeah. joystick controller and plug it into the later models. It, it's the same. I, I think it even yep, works same in the one. Sega as well uh the genesis i think had the same port did it i don't remember that but think, it's possible but i guess that'd be hilarious do, do i never tried that of, of et eric i did i never <laughs> i never bought the worst game in history i did Literally. not <laughs> i did not i did i did have uh, i do still have my original raiders of the lost ark cartridge which i've heard that's notoriously hard as well like, it's very yes. it's hard. well i mean it's it's like it's little every one of their games i'm describing every one of their games it's little squares on the screen <laughs> yeah. you know your your indie is like a hat you move around you know or whatever and then there's like a snake but the snake is really just like five squares that are connected and like you know you have to you have to have the manual that came with the game to be able to recognize oh that's that's the whip okay i thought that was just six squares next to each other that's the whip. Uh, okay and like you have to go around and figure out all of what what everything was and yeah it's you know they were for the time what you were getting was amazing like there wasn't anything better i remember playing pole position and those kind of games at home that you would have to go to the arcade to play that was right such a, you know pump quarters into it nope you can play it at your house now well, and like that was such a novel thing yeah yeah you know such a novel thing to be able to do that and they they did they did it very well. Atari did it very very well. So well, and speaking of that though, because there's more to the announcement that I was seeing more than just you know, yeah. hey, fifty years, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. But yeah. like, there we're we're getting some stuff if I understand yeah. the the news correctly. So so yeah. ninety games. Yeah, I think they're putting out like a collection of classic Atari games, and I, it's coming out on multiple. I think it's consoles, right? I, maybe it's PC too. But. Uh, yeah, PS4, so... 5, Xbox, PC, Switch, and then okay. something. Wow. I don't, you have to tell me more, the Atari VCS. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can talk about that. That's that's Atari's like, we're coming back, guys. So they created a, a it's basically a PC. It's a small form factor PC. It's got an AMD processor and you know, a lot of the AMD processors have the built-in GPU now. So it's that GPU. It's not like a discrete GPU, but it has the one that kind of is coupled with whatever AMD processor goes in it. And it's got, you know, I think 32 gigs of storage out of the box. But if you crack open the side, it has a, an M2 slot in it. So you can put an actual larger hard drive in there and you can load games on it. And it has like a classic mode where it will play classic Atari games that you load on there. And you can actually boot it up like into Linux and Windows and things like that if you want to install those operating yeah, systems wow. on so it it's as well. A, so it's a little mini PC that they made it look like. Yep. That's really cool. And it looks actually. like the classic Atari console. You can get it in yeah. all black or you can get it in the black plastic with the wood grain on the front if you want. You can go like fully <laughs> old school. And they've updated. They've got a controller that's very kind of Xbox, Nintendo Switch type controller, like the modern handheld controller that you can get with it to play more modern games on it. But then you can also get an updated rugged version of their original atari controller that is i think wireless that works with the, the mm. system as well so you can that's pretty cool and and i think you can take that it's like a bluetooth controller or you or it may have a usb cord you can plug into it too you can plug it into your pc you can plug it into your your xbox whatever and play those packs that they're putting out you can just buy the controller separate and play the classic atari games with a real updated version of the atari controller that will work with modern systems so oh, yeah it supports stadia xbox game pass and amazon's luna that's pretty cool yep yeah so you can stream games to it that was their big thing that they were wanting to do was make it so they that's it could true. play all of those streamable games on there as well so yeah, it's pretty unique actually it's no one else, the only yeah. the only downside is i think it's it's 400 bucks it's 399 dollars for the you know the base model out of the box and i think you pay more if you want multiple controllers so it's um pretty pricey i think for what's essentially just a novelty mini pc 
because right, right. you know, it's yeah, not it's as capable as that. yeah so it's i don't i'm worried that they're not going to sell a lot of them but i'm also happy that they're not going to sell a lot of them because that means down the road i'll be able to get one for like 100 bucks on ebay and yeah totally. um, that's what i'm waiting for which yeah, i think what everybody's thought, waiting for <laughs> they'll probably yeah, sell more on the like resale a, market like a snes or nest mini yeah which it kind of looks like but it but it's an actual pc that's pretty interesting. yep it's a full-sized yeah you it know, does look I pretty good. I like the little wood on the front. I mean, it, it yeah, does it's cool. <laughs> it's, it's got a really nice retro look to it for sure. I think that they did. I think that they did a good job with it. They, yeah, I think um, it's like it homages enough that the like yep. true like pe- there will be a set of people who will like love this and buy yeah, this, the like, the olds like me. I get it. I yeah. hear what you're saying, Cody. <laughs> Back in my day, you put anything with wood grain on it, and I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised they didn't charge an extra five dollars for the wood grain. Like I just, I'm right? really yeah. just somewhat surprised. <laughs> no, but it, so it was just you know, fifty years of a company. They're still they're not yes. the same company they were. They've been the original one in 1972 that was putting out the original stuff and coming up with the original console was eventually sold to Warner Brothers, I think who then kind of brought it into the limelight that we remember Atari. When we remember the 2600, the 5800, all that stuff that was happening, that was all kind of Warner Brothers, I think, that opened it, owned mm. it at that point. And then it's kind of, I think it's sold again since then. This VCS thing is another company that's that's kind of purchased Atari, I think, in the back end and is using the name and still creating oh, the stuff. I so I think it's another yeah, company. Uh, uh, di- Digital Eclipse is there the is, company yeah. behind it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing all that stuff. So I mean, but it's great to still see that name around. They're still putting out the classic games. They're giving you new ways to play those nostalgic games, yep. very much like the way that the Switch lets you play the NES games and SNES games on there. Um, and even I think they're doing 64 games now too. They're letting you go back and play those retro ones on the new system. It's nice that they're doing that. They're giving you a new system to play those on. So yep. keeping it alive. Same feels. Well, same almost same feels. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on uh, probably Cody's feelings towards some of the ports they did for the N64 virtual console games on uh, Switch. Okay. But uh, the, the ports are a little less than awesome. And so, they're okay. <laughs> yes, they're terrible. We'll just There's like lag that, and stuff with like the joystick. Like, it, like it's playable, but like if you know the game, which is most people who are probably playing those retro games. Would know, like, yeah. Yeah, you're going to notice right away that it doesn't feel like it did feel um, like literally anything else you've played it on. No, I mean, with Atari, I love like, all their games, you know, they, since they were so early to do it, like the baseball game was just called baseball, <laughs> basketball. Yeah, you sure. Know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, combat. Yeah, just combat. Yeah, uh, yeah. They and I mean they they do. I mean, still to this day, there's there's some games on there that I still enjoy playing. Frogger, classic. Yep. I still enjoy playing Frogger. You know, like yep. it's the and and combat. I used to. That was like the first game that my brother and I would throw the controllers at each other over, you know, when you would yep. blow up their tanks six times in a row and they would get, you know, start throwing controllers around the room. And so there was, you know, the first rage quit happened for us with, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it all started with, with it all Atari. started there. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's all. That's good to see it kept alive. So. Yeah, it is for sure. So last we're on, we got four yes. topics, right? So we're on the last yep. topic la- here for this. La- last one and gaming is the connective thread to this one because it's okay. why I made a purchase. Um, so we're going to do a mini what's in the box to round out uh, this parts bin episode. And uh, it is, it came out of a need. I had to get a gaming laptop. Um, not something I've had in a little while. We talked, you know, at length earlier in an earlier episode about the gaming desktop I have at this point and the path I went down to get that. But as a result, I transitioned out of my razor blade that I had prior and some stuff changed recently. And it, again, need is a very strong word. I had a hard want to have access to a, my, my, my ask was something was portable, had better than decent battery life. So under 15 inches, the, the razor blade 15 was just, it was a lot to carry around. Um, so I wanted something 14 inches or smaller, but still had discrete graphics. Um, realizing because of the current limitations, so that's about to change here before too long, um, current limitations on USB-C charging. I knew I wouldn't be able to fully game off of USB-C probably, but I wanted the ability to reasonably charge and use it on the go, mostly for work stuff because this laptop was right. going to pull double duty. So all roads led me, you know, I, I did my research and a lot led me to the Asus uh, Zephyrus G14, except my other requirement was, because this was, 
secondary at best to be realistic it's more of a tertiary computing device i have to be completely honest because really my my macbook pro vies for my primary secondary and my desktop would fill in whatever right. the alternate role would be so really this was a third tier device for me so going in for literally the z the 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 original release version of the 2022 model of the G14 was $2,500, which is That's north insane. of 14 inch MacBook Pro money. Great laptop, not worth the price. It was it was just overpriced for what you got. Um, and I couldn't justify the spend. But then in the middle of me kind of being on this mini quest for a you know on-the-go powerhouse laptop, Asus apparently read those reviews that said that it was overpriced and put out a soft refresh. It's not a new model because the other one just came out a few months ago. It's just another tier of that same device at a much more agreeable retail 1650. I caught it on a sale at Best Buy, got it for under $1,400 for a, you know, uh, you know, Ryzen 6800, uh, uh, 6800S. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. 6800S. CPU. Nope, I am wrong on that. 6900 HS. I'm horrible if you can't tell with AMD, you know, <laughs> part Yeah, numbers. I don't know any of them. I'm either, just the so. worst. Here's what matters. It's a Ryzen 9 series 6000 CPU, a great CPU. Um on top of that, a 6700S GPU, which is one step down from the one in the $2500 model, but as I pulled side for side reviews, we're talking in some cases single digit frame rate differences for a thousand dollars or more or less. Yeah. There are some other differences, a little bit less Ram. Um, it, the, the crazy expensive one has this really cool, but still kind of gimmicky, like matrix led light capability on the outer lid where you can have it do all these crazy lighting patterns. I'm not a big crazy lighting person to begin with. Um, so I'm like, cool, probably would have played with it for a day and turned it off. So awesome. Uh, ended up with, what amount to a sub $1,500, very, very capable. I'm um, having used it for a couple of weeks now in practical experience. It does all my work tasks just fine. It's got a great 1440p, uh, 120 hertz display. Black levels are great. It's matte finish, which is a really big plus for me. I do not like glossy displays. I'm just I'm just not a person who even wants a touchscreen on his laptop because the touchscreen typically oh, means yeah. a, a glossy you know screen. Uh, battery life. It's not M1 territory, not even close, but on a, on a, on a work type load, I'm getting six to eight hours, which way better than my razor blade yeah. 15 was razor blade 15 was getting doing work tasks a couple of hours on the outside. It was pretty egregious. Um, much, much better. It charges just fine over USB-C doing the, again, work tasks. If I'm in enable, you know, connect wise, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all those things runs just fine. Same thing. My Razorblade 15, I would watch it doing nominal tasks, watch it lose battery power when oh, hooked up in. to USB-C. Yeah, oh, it just wow. it just it just couldn't do it. The the, the power delivery just wasn't there for the model that I had. Um it's of course got a much bigger barrel style charger for for the for uh, I think it's 230 watts whenever I want to run like if I'm going game mode. Um, but going back to practical use, you know, some of the games I'm like, you know, I'm not playing, you know, crazy 4K gaming here. We're talking Star Wars Old Republic and Star Trek Online and you know Call of Duty like that kind of stuff. Running high to even ultra graphics with great frame rates. I mean, overall, wow. it's just a great performer the best performer I've used under the $1,500 price point in a long time. And it's just crazy to think that Asus at least had the presence of mind to pivot away from their original decision, which was let's go for 2,500. Cause I'm sorry, at 2,500 bucks. Now you're in the territory of top tier Alienware and even mid to upper oh, tier yeah. razor products. And that just, it can't hold a candle to those. The previous iterations, the 2020, 2021 models of the G14, that was their whole party trick was we're going to bring, it was all, it was a Mustang. It was all the horsepower at medium range prices. Right. And that's what they needed to get back to. And I think they did very effectively. I probably would feel a little bit more picky if I had paid the full 1650 knocking on $1,700 price point. Mm -hmm. But when you can catch one on sale, like I guess I want to say it was, I think it was 1440 or 1400. I ended up getting it for through Best Buy on that sale. And that just, that, that was entering no brainer territory for the amount of performance i was getting right. for the dollar 
Um, last notes, build quality, really great, you know, predominantly aluminum chassis, keyboards, pretty good, decently clicky. Um, big trackpad, big glass trackpad. That's the other big one for me. I don't like laptops with small or plasticky trackpads. It's a, a good precision touch uh, trackpad for the most part. This is no trackpad sound. buttons either, right? It's just the one piece. No there. trackpad buttons. Yeah. I mean, it's not like haptic again, like a Mac right. Pro, mm-hmm. nor that I expect it to be. Um, speakers are again, reasonably good for a pretty light laptop. It's not an ultra light or ultra thin, not by a long shot, but tell you what, I have a, you know, Waterfield, you know, cross, you know, crossbody bag that I carry my stuff in. In that one bag, I can, you know, it's a little on the heavier side with both in there, but I can right. more than reasonably for decent sense of time carry my 14-inch MacBook Pro, this which other 14-inch laptop. <laughs> it is. This 14-inch laptop, my 11-inch iPad Pro, a notebook, and a single USB-C charger because thank God all three of those devices yeah. I just listed are finally all USB-C. And all fit in the same bag and it doesn't break my back. I don't walk around all day with it like that. I shed one laptop or the other. But like for my trek to the office and back, which is primarily from the house to the car, I drive from the car into the office and reverse. Yep. That's a that's a perfectly reasonable loadout. I'm just impressed that all those devices comfortably fit in a pretty small bag at the end of the day. When there for a while, when I would when I would want or need to carry two laptops, it meant carrying two bags. Mm-hmm. Because again, that Razor Blade 15, that was not fitting in a, in a bag with anything else between the laptop, the charger, the, all the other the things that required a bag of its own plus my daily carry bag. So all in all, it has more than checked all the boxes. I'm not saying even remotely anyone is going to be likely in my case of looking for a tertiary computing (laughs) device with those kind of specs, but I'm Mm. me and that just is what it is. But if you're just in the market for a great windows based laptop to do gaming on, again, if you're in other more specialized spaces, I have better recommendations for you, but my need was I, this was primarily intended to be a personal use device. I wanted something I could full transparency, sit on the couch and keep an eye on our new puppy and still play the games because I couldn't get to my office to do so. I mean, this is the ultimate first world problem laptop, but it fit the bill and it did it in the price point that I wanted to hit because yeah, I got rid had, of a few other devices. Yeah, you had like, you've had a previous like, or a more current gen like Alienware, like comparatively, like would you rather use an Alienware at the end of the day? Like, I would, I would say the build quality here is a step above the most recent Alienware that I had. The one that I have not yet owned and I would call most comparable to this is Alienware does have the X14 running around there. Mm-hmm. My last one was an M15. Great laptop, but it had a couple build quality things that I wasn't super enthused about. And I just do feel Alienware's design continues to be very polarizing. Um, it's just either like it or you don't. I, I think it looks fine, but it's just not a laptop I would want to carry around for any work purposes. Again, this is not a work laptop, but doing what I do, my personal laptops end up pulling double duty sometimes. I would not want to walk into a client's office with an Alienware laptop. It's just that industrial design doesn't lend itself. This is just a perfectly passable white or light gray aluminum body laptop that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of disappears um amongst the rest and that that's kind of what i wanted i didn't want something with crazy outlandish led lights and, right you know, an it, alien it just, head it does, right. and, yeah. it doesn't scream gaming laptop you know and that's totally. that's what i think that's why I, I mean even the razor book like very very non just it's a black chunk of metal but i really wish that razor would sell one that didn't have a giant green hydro logo on the back because it just right. doesn't that stands out like a sore thumb in certain settings i like to take these laptops into sometimes so mm-hmm. no if that's, if that's what you're in the market for it's it is a really great it checks one of the widest array of boxes i've seen in a long time from a device you could use for work definitely more than passably used for gaming all in all well-built good specs decent battery just it was it was a win across the board i think i'll have this one for you know a good while and um you know just it, it's a big win if that's if that's what you're looking for totally yeah and I, especially I like, versus its sibling at a thousand dollars more yeah they they do they make like motherboards and everything with that republic of gamers i think tag yep. right? they're rock yeah, they stuff. Some really yeah, good stuff yeah. i like it oh i, I have a mobo some ram i mean i've, I've had a yep. bunch of stuff asus components have been like a tentpole of my like custom builds for a long time i've yep. always enjoyed their bio like their, their software stuff is on point i've i've worked with their warranty you know, I judge a lot of companies on their warranty and support. Never had a bad experience with Asus. They've always taken you know better than good care of me. Um, they've earned a lot of that brand loyalty. This is the first device. I shouldn't say that actually. 
my very first college laptop was an Asus, but that was a long time ago, and it was a different Asus back then. Um, that that was not an ROG was not a thing back then. Put it that right. way. Yeah. Um, but this this is my first ROG branded standalone device, and it will unlikely be my last based on what's been a really good first seven or ten days with it so far. And uh, you know, I'm, I've really been happy with it. And we'll we'll see how it holds up. Obviously, all of those judgments are. I'm not hard on my devices, but I'm not real easy on them either. Like they get miles, they just do. My stuff goes with me everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the kind of person I am. I want my tech with me. That's why I really think hard about how it's going to fit in my bag. What's the charger situation like? I I like to have the gadgets near me doing what we do. So. We'll see how it holds up to that wear and tear, but so far, initial estimates are it's looking pretty good. Awesome. Nice. Very nice. Well, that was an absolute, what felt like a sprint. I'm sure if you're listening to it, you're like, are these guys ever going to wrap it up? And uh, the answer is yes. Here we go. Uh, Here we go. We're a little bit over on our target, but also not that bad. I had a worst case scenario of if we hit 90 minutes, I really got to wrap this sucker up. And we are well (laughs) south of that. So as far as victory conditions are concerned, I think we did okay for a first run through a a multi-topic show. So, uh, you know, on, on that small collection of actual bombshells i think we will uh, we'll wrap it up for this week uh, next week catches we'll return to our more normalized format of shows again that we're actually going to record today but you'll get to hear in a week or so with that i think we'll catch you next time later, later.